0: We often celebrate the Feast of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit is poured out upon the disciples and the church is brought to life. But we don't always mark what happens right before it, Christ's ascension. It's now 40 days after Jesus has been raised from the dead when he appears once more to his disciples, and then before the very eyes he's raised into heaven. Listen to the word of God as it comes to us from the author of the Gospel of Luke in the opening words of its sequel, the book of Acts, chapter 1. The former treatise have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to preach until the day in which he was taken up. And after that, he, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Being assembled together with them, he commanded them, that they should not depart from Jerusalem. But wait for the promise of the Father, which, saith he, ye have heard of me, for John truly baptized of water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, Wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he said unto them, It's not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own power, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem, in Judea, and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And when he had spoken these things while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven, that same Jesus which is taken up from you into heaven shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Will you pray with me? O Lord, as we prepare to hear your word again, open our hearts that indeed it might be your spirit that moves in us, that your presence is near. For in Christ we pray, amen. Our second lesson comes to us from Paul's letter to the Ephesians, the first chapter beginning with the 15th verse. Listen again to God's word. I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. And for this reason, I do not cease to give thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. As you come to know him, So so that with the eyes of your heart enlightened, you might know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance among the saints? What is the immeasurable greatness of his power for all who believe? And has made him the head over all the church which is his body the fullness of him who fills all in all this is the word of the lord thanks be be to to god God. so i have to ask if i greeted you with a robust happy ascension day (laughs) Could I imagine that you might say, like, what? (laughs) We celebrate Easter, the day that Jesus was born on earth. We celebrate, I'm sorry, we celebrate Christmas, the day that Jesus was born on earth. Easter, the day that Jesus rose from the dead. Sometimes transfiguration, when he was transfigured before their eyes. And Pentecost, which is next week, the day the Holy Spirit comes. We know these. But... So I've been ordained since like 1983, and in my entire ministry, I have never preached on Ascension Day (laughs) until this year. You're welcome. (laughs) Oddly, it's not that Protestants don't celebrate it. When I was FaceTiming last week with my friend Nora, who lives in Switzerland, she casually mentioned that Ascension Day is a national holiday there where everybody gets the day off, uh, as is Pentecost, by the way. And she and her partner are on vacation in the Swiss Alps right now, which seems appropriate that they should be up in the clouds, right? (laughs) Clouds, of course, have long been a symbol of God's close presence when the Israelites were wandering through the wilderness, when Moses went up on the mountaintop to receive the Ten Commandments, when Jesus was transfigured on the mountain before his disciples' very eyes. Now, this this may be a Chicagoan talking, but even though it's not as cool as being in the Swiss Alps, I will point out that God has blessed us today with May Gray. <laughs> still, American Protestants celebrate the Ascension? Really? Well, I guess a few more do than I thought they did. I'm still on the listserv for Pittsburgh Seminary, where I served before coming here, and I got not one, not two, but four blogs about ascension day from professors and board members who knew so allow me to dive in what is it we're celebrating on ascension anyway we name it every time we recite the apostles creed on communion sundays jesus was crucified dead and buried he descended into hell on the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence, he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. But it's not just creeds that honor Christ's ascension. Scripture tells the story in numerous places, far more than we usually pay attention to, including the passage that Ann Chaffee read this morning. 40 days after he was raised from the dead, Jesus is talking with his followers and then he's taken up into the clouds to sit at the right hand of God. And still you may be asking, what does it mean and why does it matter? Well, you're not the first to ask. My friend, Sheldon Sorge, who heads Pittsburgh Presbytery and sits on the seminary board, recounts this story in his blog. He says, Margaret was a lifelong church educator who'd long since retired when I became pastor of the congregation she'd served. She told me one of her favorite children's sermon stories. I told the children about Jesus leaving his disciples behind as he ascended into heaven to be with his father. And one of the children raised her hand and with a troubled look, she said, that sounds fine. But wondered why Jesus would sit on God's hand. (laughs) I love it. So here's the first thing I'll. Clarify. Jesus didn't ascend to sit on God's hand, but at God's right hand, which is a metaphor, of course, for sharing power. As First Peter reminds us, Jesus has been given power over all the angels, authorities, and powers. But still, what does it mean? And why does it matter? Let me share just a few things I've gleaned from my research. I'm going to start with the why. Jesus' power is not for his glory, but for the world's redemption. Jesus' power is not for his glory, but for the world's redemption, just as it has always been. You may remember the time in Jesus' life when when he was with his disciples and James and John asks him to sit, have them sit at his right hand in glory. And this is what he tells them. He says, you don't even know what you're asking. And he went on to say this to all of his disciples. You know that among the Gentiles, those whom they recognize as their rulers Lord it over them and their great ones are tyrants over them, but it's not so among you. For whoever wishes to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you must be slave of all. For the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus' power. Jesus' power in his birth and his death and his life and his suffering, in his resurrection and in his ascension, Jesus' power is never for his own glory, but always to fulfill the reign of God until justice flows down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream from the slums of India to the streets of L.A. Jesus' power is to fulfill the reign of God until all of God's children go out in joy and are led back in peace and the mountains and hills burst into song and the trees of the field clap their hands from Gaza and Tel Aviv to our halls of Congress, that joy and peace. Pittsburgh Seminary Professor Edwin Van Drill says it this way about about Christ's purpose. This is what Jesus is doing in the ascension. He is blessing people leading them toward what God has in mind as the goal of creation. And note that Jesus isn't absent. He is present more than ever. Jesus' work isn't over. It has just begun. Which for me raises the second question. But how? How does it happen? And what makes us believe that it's even possible, given everything that we see around us? Vendriel says it this way. If Jesus is raised above all authority in heaven and earth and is acting in his power, how is he doing it? How is he leading creation to the final goal? And those questions, he says, press themselves upon us when we look around and see that the life of the church doesn't look so triumphant, or that history isn't progressing to be better and better. Institutions we've long relied on look like they're crumbling. Powers we've trusted look like they're fleeting away. Dark clouds, dark clouds seem to be taking over in history. In the midst of all that, How can we say, how can we say that Jesus is enacting his power? Well, I got to say, I love his honesty. I love the way he's not pretending that everything is just perfect. And I love his answer, which he finds in our second lesson, the letter to the Ephesians. He says, God has put all things under Christ's feet. God has made him the head of all things for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all things. Jesus enacts his power by filling all things. And then then Vendriel points out something I've never thought of before. Jesus filling all things is a spatial image, not a temporal image. My friend, the architect will appreciate this. Often when we think about an action of power, we think about it on a temporal line. Politicians measure their careers in temporal ways. What can I accomplish in the two years I have before the next election? Churches make strategic plans saying in the next three years what we'll accomplish and they matter. What we measure happens along a timeline but not in the biblical image here. Nowhere does it say that Jesus is enacting his power day after day, year after year, century after century, progressing toward the kingdom of God. Instead, he enacts his power by filling all things in the present tense. In the present tense. Everything right now. Everything right now is full of the presence of the ascended Lord. All creation is being filled by him. Pause for a moment and think about that, because if it's true, it means that a struggling or questioning congregation is no less being filled by the presence of Christ than a flourishing one down the street. And if that's true, it means that the presence of Christ is filling the institutions that even seem to be going under as much as it is when they were growing strong. Every part of creation is being filled with the power and presence of the ascended Lord. I love what Vendriel says then. After, After pointing that out to me, that spatial image, I'm captured by his reassurance. He says, if the ascension gave us, it's up to us now on our own, then we'd have a problem. Because we would need a roadmap. We'd need to know what to do next. But If Ascension Day is what the first Christian communities claim, that Jesus Christ, the living, resurrected Lord, is filling all things, then it's okay if we don't know exactly what we're supposed to do as a church right now. It's okay if we don't know exactly where history is going right now because we know that Jesus is already there filling us that he's making a home in every part of creation. Which leads me to my last brief final point that I want to make about the blessing of Ascension Day, not just why it matters or how Christ's reign comes to be, but where exactly Christ is right now that he's ascended into heaven. I love the answer I heard from another Pittsburgh professor, Stephen Toole, who says, today is the Feast of Ascension. If you're not sure about what it means, it's the day that we celebrate Jesus working from home. (laughs) And it's true. When Jesus left the earth and ascended, he went to work from home with God in heaven. But does that mean that he's not here too? Of course not. Distance can't separate us from Christ's love. Time can't separate us from Christ's love. In fact, as Paul writes in Romans 8, one of my favorite passages, neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's what Ascension Day means to me. It means trusting that Christ's power is not like the world's power but it's poured out for the sake of all, all, all of God's beloved people. It means trusting that Christ's work will not stop until the whole world is filled with God's justice and joy, with God's comfort and peace. It means... Trusting that although Christ reigns with God in heaven now, Christ is still here with you, with me, right here, right now, wherever we are. Christ is still with us, filling us, and his love for us will never ever let us go amen